judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. How you doing this week? I feel like I always say tired, so I should stop saying tired, but like that's actually how I feel, just like constantly tired. Okay, well, how about tell me one exciting thing that you did this week? I'm like, <laughs> is this like a, like a get to know you at work? I guess, <laughs> but like, it's been a bad week. I was really sick. <laughs> oh, the one thing that I did that was very interesting that ties into something I'm going to talk about later was I finally, after like, what am I, 36 years of life, watched Boys in the Hood. Have you ever seen that? I have not. It's so good. It's like, it's John Singleton. It's written and directed by John Singleton. And it stars Ice Cube, um, Lawrence Fishburne. All right. um, Cuba Gooding Jr. I think it was one of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s like first roles. Um, I always just was like, oh, it's a movie about like gangbangers in LA. And it's so much more than that. It's like this coming of age story about like how you live how where you live really like your zip code is important right like yeah and I, I i thought it was super interesting and i was like i definitely you know just like push this movie off as like ugh, just a movie about like gun violence and it is but the people in the movie don't want it to be that way either it's really great gotcha yeah. gotcha so what what had you watching it i watched it one because it's black history mom um two i'm going to feature it sounds weird but i'm gonna be part of a guest panel for it's a fandom thing which we've both been on before that's another podcast that's awesome um they're covering angela bassett this month so Uh i'm gonna be doing that i'm actually recording that later today and it was on a list of uh if you like angela bassett you should watch this she's in it she's not in it long enough for me because i mean she's never in anything long enough for me like i just want to see her constantly (laughs) it's just an angela bassett monologue with the camera only on her for an hour and a half i'd watch you're in i you know what if she was just like want to watch my day and i'd be like yeah what are you doing today making frosted <laughs> flakes okay cool i'm watching i'm into it i'm sure angel has never eaten frosted flakes in her life oh come on no, no she's she's the real one yeah but like frosted flakes feels too pedestrian even for her my head canon is that she definitely ate frosted flakes growing up maybe Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you just don't want her to be eating something so pedestrian. <laughs> you don't get arms like that by eating frosted flakes. And I know she wasn't born with those arms, but like, anyway, she's fantastic. Um, I don't know when that episode comes out for It's a Fandom Thing. I will find out and let you all know. So if you want to hear me just, you know, mush all over Angela Bassett and how great she is, you can do that on It's a Fandom Thing. Later yeah, when that month. when that comes out, we'll be sure to cross promote it on all of our social media mm-hmm. platforms and such. So yes, absolutely, it's always a fun time being on that yeah. on that. Podcast. So that was a fun thing that I did leading up to a all funner right. thing that I'll do later today. Like that was it was really interesting to watch that movie, and like I definitely didn't expect it. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. So, do you watch other movies as well? <sighs> no, not many movies, but I did see like two weeks ago, uh, some like it hot the broadway show because it was broadway week 
Oh, and that's the only yeah, times yeah. that we can afford to go to Broadway here because it's buy one, get one. Because free. Broadway. Yeah. And you know what? There should be a thing. And I say this all the time. But there should be a thing for New Yorkers that's like, oh, you live here? Here's your pass where everything is discounted. Charge the tourists the expensive prices for things. Because, like, we would go. But we also need to, like, afford to pay rent here. So, like, I can't yeah. go to Broadway and, like, pay my rent. Like, it's just, like, not as much as I would <laughs> like to. Like, And it was great. So, um, it is... Have you ever seen the movie Some Like It Hot? That's what it's based off. I, I haven't, but I'm familiar with yeah, it uh, a little Marilyn bit. Marilyn Monroe, um, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. And... Okay. So, it's it's good, but the musical is way better. So, like, the movie is made in, like, I want to say, like, the 50s. I mean, it's got to be something like that, right, if it's got Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Released in 1959. So, it's very misogynistic, and, like, there are no black people in it. But the Broadway show, <laughs> they've recast, like, certain characters as black people. And it's not, like heavy-handed like there's like a an offhand joke about like a so it's it's about these two dudes who need to like run away and they end up joining like a woman's chorus line so they go and drag it is much funnier than that implies and and less okay. sexist than that implies the movie is pretty sexist the broadway the broadway show did like a very very good job with like reining that sexism in but this this convoy of women are like on their way to California. And when they're trying to figure the, the leader of the band has been replaced, uh, has been cast as a black woman. So they're trying to figure out which way this, you know, which way they're going to set their tour. And her assistant goes, Oh, so should we be going down to Florida? And she's like, I'm a black woman in 1939. Uh, let's go someplace a little bit safer. And it's just like this very fun, quick joke. It's fantastic. I really loved it. And I don't know if you ever see, saw the show Smash. No, I'm, I'm 0 for 3 now when oh you're like, have you Jesus. seen this? <laughs> so Smash, I don't know if anybody saw Smash unless like you worked in the Broadway industry or you're obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. It was basically a show about these people who were trying to get a Broadway musical about Marilyn Monroe set. So there's a song in it called Let's Be Bad. And I'm watching this play. And this song is in this movie and this song is in this play. And I'm like, how is this song in this play right now? Because it is from a TV show that got like two seasons. And it turns out like one of the showrunners or something is like a writer and like got the show, got the song in there. And I was just like, that just hit at so many levels for me. Plus one of the actors in the Broadway play was in the show as well. So it was like a whole little Marilyn Monroe trifecta. So that was very cool. Very good for Black History Month. If you were in New York City and would like to see it, some of the greatest performances I've seen. And like, I brought my husband, and like, we haven't gone to see like any musicals ever. And he was just like so jazzed. Like, that the fact that people can like sing and tap dance and like do all these things at the same time and have like and hit like good notes is crazy to me and hit their marks. Like, there's like so much <laughs> stuff going on in Broadway, and it was like, how much? All the talent. How much do you guys get paid? Double it. Like they do such a, and they do like so many shows a week. Like Broadway is a real experience, and like I really hope that people. They are a union, go. right? Or I believe like, so. Yeah, I think that there is so. a union. I would hope so because like they work really hard. So mm-hmm. I hope they get paid well. But Broadway is such an experience. So like I see why when people come to New York, they're like, let's go to Broadway, and it's like, 
annoying for the people who oh, live yeah. here. But like, I get it. I get it. I'm going to a show in a week and a half mm-hmm. is off Broadway. I bought the tickets like long last year as soon as they went on sale. It's a comedy singing group mm-hmm. that I like. And I don't think you've, you haven't been to one of their shows with me yet, but I'll take you at some point. Uh-huh. Um, just not this time because their off Broadway ticket prices were very expensive. <laughs> when they perform at like um, the Bell House or something mm-hmm. like that, the tickets are like, 50 bucks then maybe yeah. <laughs> but, um yeah so i'm i'm very much looking forward to that because i haven't seen a like a stage show in a, a long Who is time it that you're going to see lou burger mm, okay we did talk about this yeah not on off pod we talked about this yeah and i'll i'll share about it more when when i've actually seen it and mm-hmm. let y'all know how it goes but um no i mean i haven't seen any of the things that you've mentioned but i did just over the last like week or two watch the 1619 project which is a short docuseries on on hulu actually so commercials Mm -hmm. at least in my version of hulu (laughs) but um yeah it was really fascinating because i listened to the podcast uh last year the year before when it came out and there's the same number of episodes and they have titles that are dealing with the same topics, mm-hmm. but they actually, I, I don't say modernized because it's not like the examples they used in the podcast were old, but they have even more contemporary, more oh, yeah? like present day examples that they're bringing up about people's issues. Um, one that really got me is the episode on capitalism where they're talking about cotton pickers people who were picking cotton mm-hmm. and the, the books that were kept about like, okay, this person picked this much cotton and this person picked that much cotton and so on. And there was like these logs and making sure like, oh, if they dip below a certain number, then they'd be punished. Um, yeah, yeah. It's super, super dark. But then they transition this conversation over footage of an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> and then you start interviewing these yeah. people working at an Amazon uh, warehouse mm-hmm. and they're talking about how they have like a pick number. Yeah. Like just the same terminology that's used with cotton, right? For picking that they'll get a list of things and they have to pick a certain number per hour or per shift. And they're expected to keep above that number or else they'll like be taken in and be talked to. And it's like, yeah, they're getting paid, but not a ton. Yeah. But like, like the mental, I mean, it's the mental thing is still there, right? Like, right. It's very different from chattel slavery, yes. right? Like, yeah, it's, it's very different. We, and that's one like of the guys they interview, and it actually says English doesn't have a lot of words for exploit exploitation of labor, mm-hmm. right? We have slavery, and then we just have workers, yeah. and like, what do we call all those things in between? And a lot of what happens today is more in between, but that, like you said, that mentality yeah. is still. A part of it so uh, i thought it was really well done without being overly traumatic although mm-hmm. the, the there is one episode about um a woman who was pregnant with twins and her doctor didn't do twins and so she got another doctor and then sort of the the treatment of that she did um i'll spoil this just as like a sort of trigger warning for people she did lose one of the babies mm-hmm. um but I don't know that that necessarily could have been prevented, but probably it could have been dealt with better than it was dealt with, at least yeah. the way she explained it. Yikes. So, yeah. How did they it's, do, it's, um, 
from the podcast i remember there was like a really good episode on music oh yeah the, the music episode was was really good um but it still covered different examples mm. which was really cool like even if you're using that same bass to like reference other um other examples like they talked about the farm and like the land ownership that was taken from this this town mm -hmm. uh during world war ii for the government they needed it for like an airstrip or whatever and then after the war ended they didn't they never returned the land oh, and then no. they turned it into conservation land mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah so yeah. It, it is it's it's a lot, mm -hmm. but I think it, it was good for us. We watched it like one episode a night. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a binge type yeah, show. No, it's, definitely too, not. it's too heavy for that. Um, I do like that it's not exactly the same thing as the podcast. So like if you want mm -hmm. to like revisit it, like you can see something new. That's kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it, it kind of builds off of the similar ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing um, a lot of stuff at school too for Black History Month. We have like a whole month of events, different talks, different movie screenings that they've been Ooh. doing with um, conversations by some of the professors in, mm -hmm. in my department and in other departments um, they're doing a walking tour of the um, African burial grounds, which we talked about last episode. Speaking um, of that, I saw. Yeah. Do you have New York One? No, you don't have New York One anymore, right? No. No. Well, I used to have New York One. It's a channel here. It's like our new channel that just focuses on like the five boroughs, and it's awesome. But they have this thing. But you got to have Spectrum to. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> cable I to miss have it. it. <laughs> um, but we're watching it. And they have this thing called New Yorker of the Week. And the woman who runs the front desk of the African Barrow Grounds was New Yorker of the Week two weeks ago. And I was nice. like, oh, my God, I wonder if Rebecca saw her. And this woman talks about how, like, she started working there because she, like, wanted people to know more about, like, this land and, like, the people who were here. And, like, she thought it was really important. So she does this and then she works at some other museum. But she's, like, very old. She had to be, like, in her 70s. And she was just, like, so sweet and so cute. And she's like, oh. yeah, I want people to know all about these things. I want people to come visit. And I was like, you're awesome. I'm Must so have been glad. her day off when we went. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad. She was probably just working at the other museum that she works at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I love this. That this woman is New Yorker of the Week. I'll find her name and we can post yeah. it. But she was just that's really awesome. cute. And I was like, oh, Rebecca was just there. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how we've been doing our Black History Month. And then Sean and I are going to go to this uh, Trees of Little Caribbean mm -hmm. exhibit at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens this week, nice. um, which centers around the Little Caribbean neighborhoods in New York and also like trees from the Caribbean, all that stuff. That's awesome. So. You are definitely doing way more Black History Month stuff. You know, I wanted to I wanted to kick it up a notch for myself this year because I felt like last year was kind of overwhelming in life and mm -hmm. I didn't get to do much. And this semester I feel a little more like, okay, I can put my energy out there yeah. to to learn more. And, okay. and it's been great. That's awesome. I shared recently a book recommendation list on our Instagram. Um, you can point people to that. I'll throw that in the... Uh, the photo dump for this week too um but there's some very very good books on there if you're like hey i want to know more about black people where do i get started there's some good books on there nice. fiction nice. romance all of it yeah books that are about black people but not necessarily their trauma oh my god yes because that is a real thing like if you were to just google like books to read for black history month most of the lists 
are gonna have really sad books on it like and like i get it because it's like oh we need to teach Those people are like too, they but. are <laughs> but like you can't overwhelm yourself with just like black people don't only have bad experiences so like you should be able to see like both sides like you should be able to be like oh hey yeah. i want to know how horrible things were back then but also what do black people do now is there just romance books yes there are and we've got them for well, you and well exactly that like romance books i'm reading a sci-fi book mm-hmm. now by a black author a black woman author right like there's other stories there's out there that are being told yeah speaking of stories um, being told okay i lied last episode you're a liar i'm a liar but <laughs> i'm also a truth teller because i'm here to correct my lie okay um, i said that Lizzo was from texas like i was talking about how like cool people from texas can be and i was like oh you know megan the stallion beyonce lizzo like they're making it easier for me to like handle texas so i was listening to the episode because i do i'm our biggest fan i listen all the time <laughs> um, i was listening to it and i was like lizzo's not from texas you stupid bitch and i was like oh that's me why would i say that i have no she's from- i love that you talk to yourself yes. in the podcast yes because sometimes, like, I'll laugh right before I laugh in the podcast. Like, you'll say something, and then I'll laugh, and then I'll hear myself laugh on the podcast. And I, like, That's I do that when I'm editing. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there laughing, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I did laugh. Okay, yeah. well, that's good. It's still funny. Um, but, yeah, she's from Detroit, which I knew okay. that she was from, like, the Midwest. And I'm just like, why did I say Texas? I have no clue. They're all friends-ish, so I guess maybe that's where... I lumped it in my brain, but like Lizzo is not from Texas. Sorry. Okay. All right. Sorry, All Detroit. Right. I tried to rob you from one of your hometown heroes. Oh, last thing. Cause we've been talking for last a bit. Thing. Um, Lizzo's going to be on the Simpsons. I just saw that she posted okay. it. So like, there's like a really adorable drawing of her Simpson style and she's going to Springfield. All right. I have to watch that episode. I've watched the Simpsons in so long. I literally just watched like their Halloween episodes now, but. I'm going to watch that one, Lizzo, from Detroit, Michigan, and not Texas. (laughs) I think there's one more thing we should announce, too, before we dig into our topic. Um, And that is a strong congratulations to our most recent EGOT queen, the EGOT queen that we have, Miss Viola Davis. Yes, she got her EGOT from, um, she got a Grammy. Yeah, for her audiobook reading. Yes. Which is awesome because it's a performance yes, award, not, not just a production. Yeah. Someone someone mm-hmm. called that out. They're like, yeah, it was actually for not just producing. And I was like, oh, what? Who, who's shady is that towards? <laughs> um, but Viola Davis deserves all the flowers. All the flowers because she's fantastic. Yeah, Also, absolutely. Woman King is on Netflix now. So you should watch right. that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I had this joke with my husband. I was like, maybe they heard woman talking instead of woman king. Because woman king should have been nominated for best picture. And it wasn't. But woman talking was. And I think that someone just misheard. Really. I think someone Fair just enough. misheard. And if it wins, Viola Davis should just walk up and be like, this is mine, right? She should walk <laughs> up with a spear because she's fantastic in that movie. Like, that movie was really, really great. It's on Netflix. Everyone should watch it. Like, I can't believe it wasn't nominated. Talking about nominations. Yes. There's one person who should have been nominated and was not. And that is our woman of the week, Miss Shirley Chisholm. 
She should have won. She should have won. Yes. Um, but even if she'd been, I don't know if anyone was winning against Nixon that year, but if she had uh, at least been nominated as the Democratic candidate, True. that would have been great. <laughs> so yes, everyone, this episode, we're going to discuss the first African-American woman in Congress and the first African-American woman to seek the nomination for president of the United States from one of the two major political parties. We're going to consider the role that the media and other politicians played in her bid for candidacy. Then we'll discuss the huge uphill battle Chisholm's political career was. Spoiler alert, the hill includes racism and sexism. <gasps> Pretends to be shocked. <laughs> Finally, we'll share some of Shirley's achievements and lasting wins that still benefit us today. So trigger warnings for, you know, death threats and then that racism and sexism that we talked about. Shirley Anita St. Hill, later Chisholm, was born in Brooklyn, New York on November 30th, 1924. She was the oldest of four daughters and her parents were both immigrants. Her mother came from Barbados and her father from Guyana. How is her name so close to Anita Hill? Like the American lawyer, educator, and author that we covered in episode 17. Like, I, how? I mean, I saw the parallels <laughs> there too. I was like, hmm, coincidence? Probably, but <laughs> both women who were destined for like great things and dumb men got in their way, right? Yeah, yes, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> you are not wrong. So <laughs> we'll talk about Shirley for now. If you want to learn more about Anita Hill, like I said, episode 17, we've covered. So Shirley was exposed to politics at a very early age. Her father was a huge supporter of the political activist Marcus Garvey and of the rights of trade union workers. She and her sisters moved to Barbados when she was just five years old and lived with her grandmother until she was about nine. Then she returned to her parents in Brooklyn. Shirley's mother, Ruby, was a skilled seamstress and domestic worker, but she struggled to balance working outside of the home and raising four children at the same time. And like, sounds pretty logical to me. I mean, yeah. that's hard. I mean, all those kids require care and have little schedules like kids are hard. Her grandmother lived on a farm in the Vauxhall Village, and it was here that Shirley started her schooling in a local one-room schoolhouse. Speaking of her time in Barbados, Chisholm stated, Granny gave me strength, dignity, and love. I learned from an early age that I was somebody. I didn't need the Black Revolution to tell me that. Chisholm graduated from Brooklyn Girls High School in 1942 and from Brooklyn College with a BA in Sociology and a minor in Spanish in 1946. While she had been accepted to Vassar and Oberlin Colleges with scholarship offers, she couldn't afford the room and board, so she stayed local. Brooklyn College at the time had free tuition, and she lived at home and commuted. So it was a smart choice, financially speaking. Okay, so fun fact, as the, the, CUNY, <laughs> the CUNY expert here, I guess, <laughs> um, the City University of New York was free for qualifying city students from its inception in 1847 until 1976 when a fiscal crisis in the city actually led to a change. This free tuition aspect was partially reinstated in 2017, when the establishment of the Excelsior Scholarship actually allowed for all New York State residents whose family income was under $125,000 a year uh, and planned to attend college full-time, which is uh, 30 credits a year, mm -hmm. to attend tuition-free. So I was just like, five years shy of saving some money then, huh? Yeah. So yeah. close. Mm -hmm. So close. So, so close. Fun or fact, I also graduated from Brooklyn College and so did Bernie Sanders. 
That's a very fun fact. Your fact is better. Your fact is better. But like mine, (laughs) I just really like that school. I had a, I had a good time there. I transferred in. So I only did two years there. Actually, Mm -hmm. two, two and a half years, maybe two years and an extra semester. I don't know. They didn't take all my credits, but I did like my time there. I kind of wish I would have. I was very much a commuter. So I wish I would have, you know, dug in a little bit more, but I was like, I just want to get out. Yeah, I actually I taught there for three years as well. I taught Spanish classes there. And I remember mm-hmm. I said to you, I was like, man, I wish you were my Spanish teacher when I was there because you could have just gave me an A. And you were like, I would have not. And I was like, <laughs> what? Are we not friends? <laughs> I would have pushed you to the limit. Mm, no, I had a great Spanish teacher. You would have dropped my class. <laughs> I would have because I was like, listen. I'm not going to learn enough to like actually have a conversation. I just need to learn enough to pass. And like my teacher was very much like down with that. It's like, you just need to like know this stuff and show me that you're learning. And I was like, see, (laughs) (laughs) see, no, (laughs) adios, adios, Brooklyn Escuela. So while at Brooklyn College, Chisholm was a member of the Harriet Tubman Society, where she advocated for racial inclusion and the addition of African-American history classes. She also fought for the involvement of more women in the student government. She actually graduated cum laude and had won several prizes while on the debate team. Some of her professors even encouraged her to pursue a career in politics, but she was concerned that she faced, as she called it, a double handicap, being that she was both black and a woman. I really don't like that term. I know that, like, she is the one who said it, but, like, it feels really rude and, like, also true, but also rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely left it in yeah. quotation marks because this was, these were mm-hmm. her words. But, I mean, handicap doesn't have to be in and of itself negative, but I understand exactly yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah. It's, like, to apply that to something that doesn't, isn't about a, uh, physical or mental Mm -hmm. ability right she just is black and she just is a woman it's not an ability concept so i I hear you like it anyway so instead of politics shirley actually went into teaching nursery school she she later earned a master's degree in early childhood education from columbia university in 1951 and by the 1960s she was a consultant to the new york city division of daycare Chisholm was critically aware of racial and gender inequality in the U.S. and as such joined her local chapters of the League of Women Voters, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, the Urban League, and the Democratic Party Club in Bed-Stuy. In 1964, despite resistance, she ran and became the second African-American in the New York State Legislature. Later, in 1968, she ran for U.S. Congress and won. She served as a representative for New York State's 12th Congressional District, representing Bed-Stuy. She did that from 1969 to 1983. Her campaign slogan was Unbought and Unbossed, which would later become the title of her first memoir. She defeated the other two black opponents in the Democratic primary, and in the general election, she beat her opponent, James Farmer, by a nearly two-to-one margin, becoming the first black woman elected to Congress. And not only was she the first black woman, she was the only woman in her first-year congressional class that year. Not just the only black woman, the only woman. Yikes. How is that? Right? (laughs) What year is this again? 1970, no, 1968. That seems long. 
I mean, think about though the Voting yeah. Act rights, the Civil Rights Movement, all of this just, stuff had yeah. just taken place a couple of years before, right? But like, you want to think like New York is so progressive. We're both making cringy faces. <laughs> We're just making cringy faces at each other. That's like that long pause. <laughs> I think I'll so leave that pause in just so people can feel yeah. the awkwardness. <laughs> While serving in Congress, she co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus and became the first black woman and second woman to ever serve on the House Rules Committee. While in office, she left for the expansion of food and nutrition programs for those in need. In 1972, she decided to run for president of the United States and was the first woman to ever sink presidential nomination in the Democratic Party. So clearly she didn't win or things would be very different. Like, I would really love to see that episode of Black Mirror. Like, what would America look like now if she won? I I mean, there's I have like a positive mm-hmm. take on that and I have a negative take on that because what happened after we had a first black male oh president God, was backwards. we slid into a super, <laughs> super backwards, yeah. right? So like if it had been a black woman and it had been 1972, I, we would be in like the 1920s again or Jeez, something. Right. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's scary. But I, on the positive side of it, we, we might be more advanced. <laughs> I do think it's because I'm like, oh, it would have been like all rainbows. But you're right. Like after Obama was president, it really we backslid because people were like, black people are doing too much. Let's not let them do anything ever again. And we definitely went backwards. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's it's, it's strange to think yeah. about. Right. But yeah, that that Black Mirror episode be interesting. Someone write it so I can watch it. Go. so Shirley retired from congress in 1983 and then she went to teach at mount holyoke college but she remained politically active throughout her whole life on the personal side of things she got married in 1949 to conrad q chisholm who worked as a private investigator but the couple later divorced in 1977 she remarried the same year to arthur hardwick jr a new york state legislator when she remarried, she did take on her new husband's last name legally, but she continued to use Chisholm in politics since that's how people knew her. Shirley faced pushback in the early days of local politics and all throughout her time in Congress, and of course during her run for presidency. One early example comes from 1964, when Chisholm was collecting signatures for her nomination petition for state assembly. She once told a story about what an older African-American man from a Brooklyn housing project told her when she was knocking on his door. Apparently, he said, young woman, what are you doing out here in this cold? Did you get your husband's breakfast this morning? Did you straighten up your house? What are you doing? What are you doing running for office? This is something for men. Yeah, frustration barf (laughs) so so much yeah and as frustrating as this is he did actually listen to her while she calmly explained her experience and her commitment to the community and after listening to her he signed her petition for election i mean this only works because she needed that signature because like imagine doing your job and having someone come ask you like oh did your husband have breakfast like I'm a brain surgeon, sir. Do you want me to talk about like this gamma knife or do you want to talk about cornflakes? Why do we keep talking about cornflakes this episode? Uh, well, it was frosted, frosted flakes. flakes. Frosted flakes, cornflakes, whatever. Raisin bread. Nobody. 
Special no K. No one's eating raisin bread. <laughs> I love raisin bread. What you, you talking would. about? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's eating raisin. I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> anyway, this is ri- this is a ridiculous line of questioning, like from this man. No, you're you're. Did you check right. on your? Did your husband have a cinnabon this morning? Like, imagine having to like make sure some man ate before you could go about your day. I guess if you have a kid, you have to. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's yes. different. That's than a grown yes. ass man, right? Chisholm also stated that she faced more discrimination during her time in local politics for being a woman than for her race. Chisholm won her seat in Congress after a New York court ordered redistricting created a new heavily Democratic district in her neighborhood. This is when she earned the name Fighting Shirley. Throughout her career, Fighting Shirley introduced over 50 pieces of legislation and spent her time fighting for racial and gender equality against poverty and in favor of ending the war in Vietnam. Uh, Initially, she only hired women to work in her office and half of those women were black. I'm also here for that. Um, She did eventually hire some men in later years, both in the D.C. and in her Brooklyn district office. I guess we can we can let one or two men. I wonder if that was like an affirmative action thing. Like, oh, there's not enough <laughs> reverse yeah, affirmative there's action. There's not enough men in here. I'm like, well, did they qualify? Are they just like taking a place from a woman who could be doing this job? <sighs> Chisholm's presidential run in 1972 was met with further discrimination. Again, she says that it was more for being a woman than for being black. She expressed frustration about what she called the black matriarch thing, stating, they think I'm trying to take power from them. The black man must step forward, but that doesn't mean that the black woman must step back. I like that. She's filled with very good quotes. Her husband at the time, Conrad Q. Chisholm, however, was fully supportive of her run for president and was quoted as saying, I have no hangups about a woman running for president. I mean, that to me just sounds like common sense. It (laughs) really does. Why should you? I, I wonder if he was like, do you need me to say something else? Because like, that's it. Because it's such a short quote. I wonder if he was I just like... I feel like he shouldn't have to have said exactly. anything in the first place, yeah. right? But someone was asking him to say something, so he just shut it down. So wait, I have a funny... It's kind of funny and kind of like as blanket as, yeah, this is common sense, goodbye. So someone, they're, they're, they're possibly rebooting the I Still Know What You Did Last Summer series. And like someone asked Emma Geller like if she was going to be in it. And she's just like, my character is dead. End of conversation. <laughs> and then she just went on to talking about something else. And I think that that's so funny. It's like, there's no reason to elaborate more on things that ghost. are common sense. She could come back in like a flashback. I don't know. I'm, I'm all here for Summer Shakira getting checks. Um, but I'm also here for Shirley Chisholm announcing her candidacy. In her presidential candidate announcement, Chisholm described herself as a representative for the people of the country. She told the press, I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman and equally proud of that. I am the candidate of the people and my presence before you symbolizes a new era in American political history. I'd be like applauding that. (laughs) I would be like in the crowd applauding that wildly. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, her campaign was grossly underfunded. Uh, She spent only $300,000 in total. Just as a point of comparison, because I know this was 1972 and the money's all different, Mm -hmm. the two candidates in the general election, Nixon and McGovern, spent $69.3 million and $67.3 million, respectively. That's so much money. 
I wonder how much it is now. Like, we could look that up pretty easily. Like, how much did Biden spend in the last one? But yeah, I'm wondering if you have to be rich already to run for office. Like, maybe not, but I'm I'm sure it helps. Um, no, you do. You, you do. do. I, there's just no way. Like, there's okay. just unless like I mean, you can grassroots it for a little. Can. I don't know if you can grassroots a a, a president. A presidential nomination. I mean, well, there's like local the true. people. It's it's their spending, but it's the spending that they collected from people. It's not like it all came out of their pockets. True, but like their donors are huge. Yeah. Like you have GM donating like two billion dollars or two million dollars, and that's more than like you know you're getting from like your local boys and girls club or whatever. Right, right, absolutely. But people like AOC, I mean, I know she's just running for Congress mm-hmm. and not for president, but she does all her stuff grassroots. Um, the total spent by all candidates and outside groups was $4.9 billion. That's crazy. $2.74 billion was spent by the campaigns of Trump and Biden, as well as outside groups supporting them. Biden and his allies controlled... 61% of this sum, $1.68 billion. $1.68 billion. That's so much money. Oh, you could do so much with that. That is stupid. I mean... I hate it here. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's, it's like, how do you get yourself in front of people to know? And, like, those that's people spent all that money, and we already knew who Joe Biden was. We already knew who Trump was. So, like, why'd they spend all that money? Like... That seems insane. We already, mm-hmm. and I mean, you think that is that the l- least amount of money spent? Because I was voting for Biden no matter what. Like it didn't, you know, based on who he was running against. Well, you were yeah. at that at, by the end. You were, but maybe at the beginning of the Democratic, like when there were all those Democratic candidates together, he may not have been. Oh your first yeah, I mean, yeah. No, you're right. Um, I guess yeah, it's everything from the beginning, not just the last big fight. I think so. I think so, yeah. That's just anyway. really <laughs> it's a lot. crazy, though. That's so much money that could be spent somewhere else. Maybe the British are right. What? Maybe we need just a king. <laughs> <laughs> Take that money and spend it on schools or something, because that's insane. I mean, yeah, no. King is not a good idea either. I don't know. <laughs> a woman king? Anarchy. Let Viola Davis do it. There we go. It all comes back to Viola Davis. Problem we got there. solved. Let her do it. Lock the men away somewhere. Anyway. So Shirley struggled to be taken seriously as a candidate instead of just a symbolic political figure, you know? Mm -hmm. So while women in the past may have run for president and listen to our little rep episode to find out more about the first woman who ever ran for president in the U.S., um, Shirley was looking to seek delegates from the Democratic Party first. So a refresher on delegates, because like who remembers what those are? Right. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, So it's been a minute. So basically, delegates will pick their presidential nominees through more one or more rounds of voting. So in the end, the candidate who receives the majority of the party's delegate wins the nomination. So think about how like Bernie didn't win enough delegates to be on the Democratic ticket, but Hillary Clinton did. So that's how delegates work. That's a that's a great and important refresher. Yeah, because I was like. What's a delegate? Delegates. We just throw that word around like everyone knows what it means. Yeah. And then but yeah, I feel like you to break it down. I mean, you only do it like every four years, right? Yeah. So like, I don't remember. Remember what I did two weeks ago. So the media wasn't. 
they didn't think this was a good idea for Shirley to be running or seeking delegates. Uh, they said that she was half crazy and argued that she knew that she couldn't be president. So they wondered why she was even bothering. Which can you imagine? Yeah. Like, they just wrote that on a paper. Like, you're not going to win. Why are you even here? She literally had male candidates who approached her and asked her to step back because she was taking votes away from them. Off topic, on topic. Do you remember when we covered RBG and like there was a dinner at some professor's house and he made them go around the room and say like, why are you taking up the spot for a man? Like, what do you what do you plan on doing with your life? <sighs> so this is a thing that happens. Like, it's not. No, it's not it's shocking, not- but it's shitty. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Her support base was ethnically diverse, though, and it included uh, the National Organization for Women. But even within the Black Caucus and other Black groups, there was not sufficient support. People didn't think that she could win, so they didn't understand why they should put their energy behind her. And, like, literally, that's why. Like, if you put your energy behind, then she's closer to being able to win. If you're just like, oh, I don't think she could. We mm-hmm. got to start somewhere. Exactly. You can crowdsource things. So women like Betty Friedan, an activist and author, uh, she wrote The Feminine Mystique. And Gloria Steinem, who was a journalist and an activist, attempted to run as Shirley Chisholm's delegates in New York. But even Steinem was kind of wishy-washy on things. She spoke about how great Chisholm was for the cause, but then also added that she thought that George McGovern was also good. Watching the documentary on Shirley Chisholm and what like George McGovern stood for, I, I don't see how you could be like, yeah, why not either of them? Because they're so different. I wonder if for Gloria, it was like, she's not going to win. So like also, but also like, if, even if you're like, mm, I'm not sure she's going to win, but you like back her politics, why not just like throw yourself behind her 100%? Yeah. And I mean, obviously, at some point, the the delegates it's kind of like when they were doing the um the speaker of the house where you needed so many votes Mm -hmm. to like get that nomination there comes a point when like your candidate is doesn't have enough and is not going to have enough and so Mm -hmm. then you have to decide like am i going to continue to back this or am i gonna switch to uh, another candidate so that we can have someone that we all are okay-ish with i guess i don't know Security was also an issue for Chisholm during her campaign. There were actually three confirmed threats made against her life at this time. And until 1972, when she was assigned a Secret Service protection, she only had her husband as her bodyguard. You know, And she'd been in politics for like almost a decade at that point. Was this Conrad Q. Chisholm? Uh, yes, yes. Because they were married until um, 1977, so yeah. I I believe he could protect her. I don't think that he should have had to, like, be the sole person. Because, like, that's exactly. crazy. So one of these times uh, where she her life was threatened involved a man with a 10-inch blade who kept following her and planned to stab her. Luckily, he was arrested. But it's still pretty messed up that he could get so close to her. But, like, everyone yeah. knew about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. That's so menacing. Like, listening to her talk about it and relive it, she kind of, like... It's almost like she tries not to be bothered by it at this mm-hmm. at that point in her life when they made the documentary. But like you could tell it was still something that like stayed with her. Yeah. I mean, That's that a trauma sense. that you carry for sure. Yeah. And she's probably worried the whole time because it's like, OK, if he doesn't stab me, he's going to stab my bodyguard husband who's here. You know, like mm-hmm. that's so terrifying. 
So when it came to the televised primary debates, Chisholm was blocked from participating. So I Googled a bunch and I couldn't find any written excuse that ABC News gave for blocking her from appearing. Uh, she just simply wasn't invited to participate. That was until she took legal action. She went to the FCC to file an emergency appeal to allow her to be included in the debate. And she won that appeal. Mm-hmm. So in June of 1972, Chisholm became the first woman to ever appear in a U.S. presidential debate. But she was only permitted to make one televised speech throughout the course of the entire campaign season. And in the Chisholm 72 documentary, it appeared as though she was not even allowed to sit with the other male candidates. Like, they're talking to her and asking her questions, but they're all sitting in a semicircle and the camera has to cut to Chisholm, who appears to be slightly removed from the rest of them. Like, what? Seriously? Like, I, I my mind was boggled here. Like, did segregation uh, what segregation yeah. her being a woman I, the debate was a real mess um even after she had won the right to debate with the fellow presidential candidates abc news went on to treat her as an afterthought with questions like between mcgovern and humphrey who would you support me well, i would support me I, I support me <laughs> i'm here i'm here running like i support me ridiculous Chisholm entered 12 primaries and received 152 of the delegate votes at the Democratic National Convention, which was 10% of the total. Not bad, considering how underfunded the campaign was and how much pushback she got from the predominantly male Congressional Black Caucus. Her largest number of votes came from the California primary, where she received 157,435 votes, earning 4.4% of the total votes and finishing in fourth place. Her highest percentage in a competitive primary came from North Carolina, where she earned 7.5% of the votes, finishing in third place. Overall, she received 430,703 votes. This was 2.7% of the nearly 16 million total votes cast during the election. After her presidential run in the late 1970s, there was some dissatisfaction with Chisholm among New York liberal politicians. They felt that she wasn't really liberal enough and that she'd often, she too often sided with the Democratic Party leadership in DC instead of liberal, black, or feminist challengers to that established leadership. One example of this dissatisfaction can be seen in a 1978 article published by The Village Voice written by Andrew W. Cooper and Wayne Barrett called Chisholm's Compromises, Politics and the Art of Self-Interest. I don't like that title. It's like <laughs> no. a very bitchy title. I don't, yeah, I don't like the, well, you know, Chisholm defended herself anyway, saying that she selected the candidates who she believed could best protect the interests of her constituents and produce government benefits for them. Critics suggested that this behavior made the unbossed part of her campaign slogan a lie. The Chisholm's biographer, Barbara Winslow, suggests that because Chisholm was both black and a woman, she had no natural political base. And so she f she likely felt the need to side with the Democratic machine in order to secure a spot to speak out on the progressive messages she cared most about. According to the Washington Post, despite her, <clears throat> quote, celebrity status from the presidential campaign, Chisholm has always been a lonely politician. Her unpredictability has led to an isolation that has been augmented by her pride and paranoia. So needless to say, the press gave her a real difficult time. And who's to say what was really behind it? Was it her politics or maybe the fact that she was a black woman in politics? I mean, what do we say? Why not both? Why not both? 
Yeah, and uh, after marrying Hardwick, she began spending a lot of her time in Buffalo, New York, and this also brought political criticism that she was being inattentive to her district in Brooklyn. There were even at one point charges brought against Chisholm for a mishandling campaign funds during her bid for presidency. But charges of misconduct could not be substantiated, and she was absolved of all the charges. The U.S. General Accounting Office report found that the campaign committee's final report showed a $6,000 deficit, while in reality it had a surplus of more than $18,000. Mrs. Chisholm contended that the report had been erroneously filed as a final report eight months after Election Day 1972, and nearly a year after Mrs. Chisholm had ended her campaign as the first black woman to seek the presidential nomination of a major party. That's how it was reported. The GAO also found that the presidential campaign funds were under the supervision of Conrad Q. Chisholm, Mrs. Chisholm's husband, although he was not listed as a treasurer, nor did he hold any office. Chisholm suggests that he had been singled out by the Nixon administration for investigation and harassment because of her independent political stance against most of the administration's policies. I mean, I feel like that tracks. Nixon had, like, lots of files on lots of people that he didn't like, so... Oh, Nixon. Oh, Nixon. Which, like, was he a better choice, America? Did I mean, did you make that? Did you make that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was his second go round, too. Anyway, Chisholm made the decision to retire from Congress in 1982 after her husband, not Conrad Q. Chisholm, but Hardwick, had been in an automobile accident. The press made it seem like it had everything to do with political dissatisfaction. But as Chisholm herself stated, I've been so obsessed with politics and the desire to help my people all these years, I've never had time to think about my personal life. I think the accident was an instrument, God's way of making me reassess my life. She added that she never intended to spend her whole career in politics and that she looked forward to returning to teaching. I feel like there's a lot of similarities between how Chisholm was treated in Congress and how AOC has been treated or perceived in her role and actions in Congress now. Yeah, I I would have to agree with that completely. But the truth is Chisholm did the work. Mm -hmm. She said that she was for the people and her political actions, even at the state level, showed that to be true. While serving in the New York legislature, she was successful in getting unemployment benefits extended to domestic workers. Uh, If you remember, we mentioned at the beginning her mother was a domestic worker, so this likely hit close to home for her. One of her early causes in the New York State Assembly was to fight against the state's literacy tests requiring English. She argued that just because a person functions better in his native language is no sign that a person is illiterate. Mm Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, So she also sponsored the introduction of SEEP, which stands for Search for Education, Elevation, and Knowledge in New York. This is a state-funded program designed to meet the needs of students who are considered to be economically disadvantaged and academically underprepared. And it's still a program that we have in place at CUNY to this Mm -hmm. day. She was also a leader in a push by the statewide Council of Elected Negro Democrats for Black representation on key committees in the Assembly. This support for her constituents continued throughout her tenure in the U.S. Congress as well. Shirley was assigned to the House Agriculture Committee, which she thought was super weird since she represented such an urban district. Her goal was to help as many people as she could, and this wasn't going to stop her. So she used the position as an opportunity to distribute surplus food supplies to help the poor and the hungry. She met with Senator Bob Dole, who has great gams, if you remember from our first episode. (laughs) 
Um, and the two worked to expand the food stamp program. Shirley later played a role in the creation of the Special Supplement Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, a.k.a. WIC. I didn't know it had such a long title. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's always just been WIC, Women, exactly. Infants, and Children, but it's mostly about nutrition, so that makes sense. Well, but then also you think about it's like... um they call it the SNAP program, the Supplemental yeah. Nutrition Program or something. Where's the A? I don't know. Probably just for sound purposes. I guess it couldn't be the SNP. Because you can't pronounce it at all if it doesn't. <laughs> Shirley was constantly working to improve opportunities for urban city residents throughout the country. And she supported increasing spending on education, healthcare, and other social services. She fought against discrimination against women and particularly impoverished women. She focused on land rights for Native Americans, showing her support for other marginalized groups in the United States. She openly opposed the American involvement in Vietnam, the expansion of weapons development, and the military draft. And during the Carter administration, she called for better treatment of Haitian refugees. And Chisholm believed in grassroots political organizing. Her motto was unbought and unboss, which suggests that she did not take money from sources that would dictate what policies she supported and voted for. This is how she also reminds me of AOC. Mm -hmm. She's that same way of like, she doesn't want to take money from certain people because then you, they kind of own you. And right. You can see that with like a lot of the lobbyists, the gun makers for sure. Whoever's running airports now, like they've been given a lot of money. So like the abortion groups. Yes. Like you can see what happens when you write a check. You, when you take money from someone, you give them a part of you. So like, be careful about who you take money from everyone. Anyway. Thanks, Mom. <clears throat> Am I Mom? Yes. Oh, <laughs> you're giving Mom advice. It's good. <laughs> Unbought and Unbossed. This title also illustrates her outspoken advocacy for women and minorities during her seven terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. Chisholm said she ran for office, as she put it, in spite of hopeless odds to demonstrate the sheer will and refusal to accept the status quo. Even though she knew it was unlikely that she'd win, she knew that she needed to make the run to make changes and bring attention to the fact that those changes needed to take place. She wanted to represent the people who had never been represented before or who had never felt represented by the government of their own country. Chisholm herself referred to her political campaign as a candidacy that's paving the way for people of other ethnic groups, including blacks, to run and perhaps win the office. The truth is, people, and not just white men in power, but black men and white women, were afraid of her. It's not surprising that white men would oppose her run for presidency, but some in the women's movement didn't want her because she was black. Then the black movement didn't want her because she was a woman. Her goal? To unite them all. As fellow Congressman Ronald Dellums asked in the documentary Chisholm 72 Unbought and Unbossed, what made Shirley Chisholm frightening to you? Her womanness? Her blackness? Her black womanness? Her progressive thoughts? Did she have the audacity to take the historical moment that you were too slow to take? What was the problem? But not everyone was afraid to, as they put it, take the Chisholm Trail. Many women, students, and minority groups supported her campaign. Here's the thing about Chisholm, right? She wasn't asking to be let in. She knew she was in, and she was asserting her position from within the system. Unfortunately, there were many black delegates who had promised their vote to Chisholm who changed their minds at the last moment. So she wanted something concrete from the other white candidates. She wanted to know what exactly they were going to do for black people in the U.S. Her choice to run for president was intended to push these candidates to articulate these things. 
After Chisholm retired from Congress in 1983, she returned to teaching. This time she taught at the all-women's Mount Holyoke College in Western Massachusetts. She was not a member of any particular department, but instead taught classes in various areas. Is this common? Um, or was she just so badass that they were like, whatever you want to do, Shirley? Yeah, I don't think it's super common. I don't know what the differences were then. I know that like, like my department, for example, we're a small department, Black and Latino Mm -hmm. Studies. We have a lot of faculty that are what we call affiliated faculty, and they are professors in other departments that teach some of our courses when it intersects with their areas of research. But other than that, I don't know examples. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just Mm -hmm. not familiar. When Chisholm was questioned about why she would want to teach at a college with mostly rich white students, she replied that she enjoyed the challenge of exposing them to both her feminist viewpoint and her racial background and experiences. I love it. Mm -hmm. In 1984, along with Dr. C. Dolores Tucker, Chisholm co-founded the National Political Congress of Black Women, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the educational, political, economic, and cultural development of Black and African American women and their families. Of her legacy, Shirley said, I want to be remembered as a woman who dared to be a catalyst of change. As we mentioned, Chisholm served in the New York State Assembly from 1965 to 1968. And of May of that first year, she was honored in a Salute to Women Doers event here in New York. Once she became a member of the U.S. Congress, she was crucial in the formation of WIC. This program serves over 200,000 people in New York City alone and approximately 6.2 million people nationwide, including 43% of all infants as of 2021. That's crazy. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think all children should have the opportunity to be... Funded. On WIC for yeah, I mean they do that in other countries like for you know and six certain states like a do year. it yeah like Massachusetts I believe does when you're that little mm-hmm. but maybe we should pay people a living wage well you know like that seems those numbers are really high right like a living wage in national healthcare might cure a lot of those issues because <laughs> I feel like the the thing is always like oh mm, people are on WIC because they're lazy and they don't want to work that number is too Incorrect. high. That number is too high for it to be just a bunch of lazy people. It's like, so incorrect. I mean, I yeah. I bet it's not even 1%. Yeah. I think it's less than that. Anyway. Capitalism talk. <laughs> so during the 1980s, uh, Shirley visited over 150 different college campuses where she gave speeches to the students. One of the things she advocated for was the avoidance of polarization and intolerance. As she told them, if you don't accept others who are different, it means nothing that you have learned calculus. (laughs) I love that. It's like you went to college, not just to learn like how math works, but you need to Mm -hmm. learn about people and how other people work and learn interactions. Why? That's why I think like higher ed is important. Besides, for only $5 a month, you can become a math scientist. (laughs) (laughs) If you subscribe to our Patreon, you don't need to go to college for math. (laughs) We got you. And after Chisholm retired from Congress, she continued to engage in issues that were important to her. In 1990, for example, she and 15 other black women established the African American Women for Reproductive Freedom Organization. This organization developed as a way for African American women to show their support for Jane Roe. The group's intent was to alter the perception of abortion not being a choice for African-American women, who they argued faced additional stigma and judgment for seeking out a legal abortion. 
1993, President Bill Clinton nominated Chisholm to be the U.S. ambassador to Jamaica. Unfortunately, she was unable to accept the role due to poor health, so the nomination was withdrawn. But that same year, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, so that's pretty cool. Chisholm died on January 1st, 2005. At her funeral, the minister said that the reason Shirley was able to make change happen was because she showed up, she stood out, and she spoke up. She's buried in the Birchwood Mausoleum at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo, New York. And the inscription on her vault reads, you guessed it, unbought and unbossed. She really was a catalyst for change, and this is how she wanted to be remembered. More importantly than being the first black woman to run for president, she wanted to be remembered as a woman who fought for change in the 20th century. And that she is. In 2004, the documentary film, the one we've mentioned a couple times now, Chisholm 72, Unbought and Unbossed, was featured at the Sundance Film Festival. And in February of 2005, just one month after Shirley passed away, it aired on public television in the United States. It covered Chisholm's run for the Democratic presidential nomination and was directed and produced by independent African-American filmmaker Shola Lynch. In 2006, the film won a Peabody Award. But this wasn't the first documentary about Shirley and her presidential run. In 1972, during the campaign, German filmmaker Peter Lilienthal shot the documentary Shirley Chisholm for President, which aired on German television. There's a few legacy connections with Chisholm and Brooklyn College. In 2014, the first biography about Chisholm written for adults was published. It was called Shirley Chisholm, Catalyst for Change, and was written by Brooklyn College history professor Barbara Winslow. Winslow was also the founder and the first director of the Shirley Chisholm Project, which is a repository of women's grassroots social activism in Brooklyn since 1945. It promotes research projects and programs on women and serves to preserve Chisholm's legacy. In 2019, the Shirley Chisholm State Park, a 407-acre park along the Jamaica Bay coastline, was open to the public. And in 2018, a memorial monument of Chisholm was announced for placement by the Parkside Avenue entrance of Prospect Park in Brooklyn. When it arrives, it'll be the park's first monument to a woman. We'll let you know when it gets here. Yeah, exactly. We will. (laughs) We'll take lots of pictures. The picture, the image of what is going to be there is really Mm -hmm. fascinating. It's pretty cool. Um, But we talked about the statues of women in New York City and the lack of them when we talked about Marsha P. Johnson. So Mm -hmm. you can learn more there. Now, Chisholm was an inspiration during her run for presidential candidacy, but she also had an influence on future candidates. In 2008, the Democratic presidential primary came down to two major candidates, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. This was the first time that the winner would be either the first female nominee or the first black nominee. Supporters have mentioned that Chisholm's campaign likely paved the way for both of them to be in that spot. She was also an inspiration to our current vice president, Kamala Harris. Harris paid homage to Chisholm's campaign by using a similar typography and color scheme, uh, red and yellow, in her own 2020 presidential campaign logo and in promotional materials. A fun fact, uh, Harris launched her campaign 47 years to the day after Chisholm did. That's a really cool fun fact, actually. <laughs> yeah, sometimes our fun facts are sad facts, but this one is yeah. a real fun one. <laughs> this is an actual fun one. Um, so 
couple of very famous, very cool actresses have played Chisholm over the years. Actress Uzo Adobo portrayed Chisholm in the 2020 miniseries Mrs. America. She won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Actress in the limited series for that role. You might also know her as Crazy Eyes in Orange is the New Black. In November 2020, Denai Guerrera of The Walking Dead and Black Panther was cast as Chisholm in an upcoming film called The Fighting Shirley Chisholm. The film is still in development. Yet another Shirley Chisholm film has been announced in February of 2021. This one will star Regina King as Chisholm and will be distributed by Netflix. Honestly, all three of those women portraying her is like... (laughs) I mean, Mrs. America has actually been on my list for a while of things to watch. I think it might be on either Amazon or like HBO Max, but it's supposed to be really good. But I want to see all of these. Mm -hmm. Let's just have like a Shirley day. We'll make Shirley temples. We'll get my (laughs) mother-in-law Shirley. We'll like watch all of this together. Shirley is such a fun name too. Shirley it is. Ugh. No. (laughs) Oh God. What have I done? You love me. (laughs) No, I can't. I gotta go. Your mother-in-law just logged off. That's probably like the joke she really can't handle. (laughs) It's like when, not again. It's like when people do the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha to my mom. It's the same thing. She hates it. (laughs) I know my mother-in-law was very into. Last summer there was a like a a drink called like the Dirty Shirley, which was like a Shirley Temple, but it had like alcohol in it. She was very into it, and she kept talking about it. And I was just like, I said, like I guess Shirley Temple jokes aren't aren't bad i don't know there's not a lot of i guess just that one yeah that's the worst shirley joke yeah. like shirley you must be joking <laughs> i wonder i wonder how often she got she gets that i'm having dinner with her next week i'll ask okay be she'll cautious. leave she'll be like ugh. and just a few other awesome awards and celebrations of chisholm chisholm's 1970 speech for the equal rights amendment is listed as number 91 in american rhetoric's top 100 speeches of the 20th century what's number one I don't know, but it's probably by a white man. I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to find out right now. I'm so interested. Hold, please. Do, 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 do. Okay. What it's is- not a white man. All right. It is Martin Luther King Jr. I Have a Dream. Okay. Well, that makes one. sense. <laughs> actually, that makes Boom. a lot of sense. That's actually, <laughs> I, you know, I'm so glad I looked that up. I was like, ugh, I'm going off the rails, but like, I'm really glad I looked that up. That's awesome. Way to go, Martin Luther King Jr. Shirley also received an honorary doctorate of law from Aquinas College, Smith College, and Stenson University. In 2002, she was listed as one of the 100 greatest African-Americans by African-American studies scholar Mullify Keith Asante. In 2014, the USPS issued the Shirley Chisholm stamp, which I have. Uh, this, was it. this was the 37th stamp in the Black Heritage series of U.S. stamps. Nice. I really like stamps, and this is a good one. If I can find it, I'm sure I can find it online. Yeah. I don't know if I have them anymore, but I'll post a picture. Okay. And in November of 2015, she was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by then-President Barack Obama at a White House ceremony. All right. So, final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got? My takeaway is uh, to never give up, basically. You know? Like, Shirley had like a really hard time, but like kept going. Like, as a woman of color, I feel like we're not only fighting for like a seat at the table, but we're fighting for a right to even be in the room sometimes. And it's only harder when you have to deal with like constant attacks, like unconscious bias, microaggressions, or my favorite, a well-meaning white woman. Like Shirley, like I think Gloria Sainham 
Gloria Steinem might have been yeah for a lot of this which she's interesting and i do think we should maybe cover her but like yeah yeah we'll she's a little wishy-washy on on certain parts but yeah i'll learn more about her later um she's put everything on the line to get people to see the value in diversity and inclusion and it feels like if we don't try to be heard then we're like letting her down like we have to put ourselves out there mm-hmm. and like demand visibility because like Shirley fought so hard well i think not even a seat at the table but like your own fucking table that you can like bring into the room (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah i i think it takes a lot for a woman to put herself out there like chisholm did and in 1972 a woman couldn't even have her own credit card right we've talked about that (laughs) i mean the voting rights act of 1965 hadn't even taken place when she first ran for new york state assembly and only three years before she ran for congress so this is a huge deal She had to fight like she was going to win, even if she wasn't sure that she would, or maybe even if she was sure she wouldn't, right? Because it was about making a change. So we have some resources and references for for you. Um, Chisholm 72, Unbought and Unbossed, was the documentary we talked about. It's directed by Shola Lynch, and it's available on Amazon Prime. Shirley Chisholm, Catalyst for Change, is the biography by Barbara Winslow. And Chisholm herself wrote two memoirs, Unbought and Unbossed, and The Good Fight. The National Women's History Museum entry on Shirley Chisholm. The U.S. House of Representatives History, Art, and Archives, Shirley Chisholm. The Shirley Chisholm Project, a website ran by Brooklyn College. It's a CUNY school. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, every unbought and unbossed woman with ears. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. And be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge two or five dollars, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose a five dollar level, you will have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episode. These are short mini-episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up is Victoria Woodhull. And if you stick around after the episode, we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. But before we get to that, we want to celebrate our two newest Patreons. They're math scientists. Woohoo! So welcome to Ron P. and Rachel, our two newest math scientists. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support. Yeah. And we hope you enjoy the back catalog of Little Reputations episodes that you have access to now, as well as all our upcoming Little Reputations episodes. Send us an email and tell us what your favorite is. Yeah. All right. Kim, what quote do you have for us to wrap up today's episode? So I have one from the woman of the hour herself, Shirley Chisholm. If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. I like that too. Right? And as always, believe women. Some sources suggest that he abducted Victoria in order to marry her. They were married in 1853. 
shortly after she turned 15. I was going to say that this could only happen in 1853, but then I thought about modern society and I'm like... Well, that, vi- that movie that we were talking about, In Plain Sight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a whole documentary. Yes. This could happen now. But I just think it's wild that he is like, hey, I cured you from this chronic illness. Now marry me.